All right, we're in Acts chapter 19. Turn with me there if you would. And we're back still in the book of Acts. This is like three weeks just in Acts 19. If you remember kind of the backstory at the beginning of the chapter, we saw the apostle Paul going into Ephesus to, to bring a complete telling of the gospel and life in the Holy Spirit to these God-oriented people who weren't really following Jesus yet, but they were focused towards the Lord. They were hungry for God. And it says that God, they got saved, they were baptized, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and God gave them the ability to speak in new tongues and to prophesy. Then last week, we looked at the passage right after that, where these seven sons of a Jewish exorcist named Sceva, they're hustling the name of Jesus. They're trying to misappropriate Jesus' name. How many of you know you can't fake the funk, right? There's no power in pretending. So they, we saw that text last week. And so we've gone from like revival to copycats to oppression. And this week, we're going to look at uh, a growing church in times of opposition, a growing church, all in the same chapter. We went from revival to crazy imposters to massive upheaval and citywide riots and oppression. I'm telling you, like the Bible is the most captivating book ever. There is so much drama. Mel Gibson should make movies about it all the time. As we're finishing the last third of the book of Acts, in general, like we've been in this series for a year and a half, and it shifted really from the stories of the start of the church and the miracles and church planning to now we're gonna see a lot of the story of the apostle Paul. He got saved in Acts chapter nine, and a lot of the latter part of the book is his traveling, his preaching, his starting churches, and now he's going back to cities he's gone to before, and for much of the rest of the book, the gospel has been preached and shared in much of his world, and churches are growing, cities are changing, but now we're gonna start seeing a lot of the heavy opposition. You know, it's really cool to celebrate life change unless you lose because somebody else's life got changed, right? And now we're gonna see Paul beaten in prison, shipwrecked, like cast out of cities, a lot of opposition. And I don't know why God is giving us this part of the text for this season of our lives, but maybe we're gonna endure opposition in the future as a church, as a nation, as a culture. And I, I just want us to stand as we read through the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, we see their behaviors, we see their reactions, we see their disciplines, and we're to learn from how they acted. For many of us as Christians, we read stories of growth and life change, marriages restored, miracles, revivals, all that, and we get so excited, right? Last week I shared stories about a six-year-old kid whose ears were open for the first time, deaf his whole life, a, a woman with a tumor that was healed. We, we shared stories of, of miracles, and we all get excited about that. Can I hear an amen, everybody? But I wanna tell you, not everybody gets excited when the gospel changes you. Acts 19 is a case study for this. Listen, not everyone's excited to hear when someone leaves an old way of life, especially when it's good for them, when it was profitable for them, when others turn their lives to Jesus. We know that the gospel is the greatest news on earth. And we believe it's the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And the only way to have eternity with God is to surrender your whole life to Jesus, to believe in his resurrection but I know many people who have found Jesus and have dealt with extreme opposition. Jesus even prophesied this. He said, you will have trouble in this world. Some people have believed this false gospel that you just come to Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. That's crazy. I had family members tell me that I drove them nuts. Like I had a family member tell my first pastor, you're the one who stole Mike from our family. I, we have a friend, an evangelist who we've supported for years as a church. In fact, Pastor Mike Campbell, our missions pastor, that trip to Africa where the boy was healed, the deaf boy and the tumor was healed. He was with Christopher Alam, who's been in ministry for a very long time, but he grew up in Jordan. He's actually part of the Jordanian royal family. And he grew up a Muslim. And when he gave his life to Jesus, 
We would all celebrate that and we go, yay, a Jordanian royal family member born and raised in Islam has given his life to Christ. We celebrate that. His family put a hit on him. His own family still wants him killed for preaching Jesus. I have a friend in our church who was decades long a leader in a highly organized gang, nationally known gang. And he helped a lot of people make a lot of money doing a lot of bad things. But how many of you thankful for a praying wife? Our friend El Greco found Jesus and immediately left that gang life knowing that to leave that life could cost him his own life. While we may celebrate his life change, those he walked away from were not so excited about it. How many of you know when you disrupt somebody else's way of life, they get protective over it? Even as a church, we have experienced opposition. I mean, we've experienced amazing blessing and growth and life change and people coming to faith here. And I've had opposition, some to my face, much behind my back from other pastors, neighbors in this community, even Christians from other churches accusing us and some to my own face about the crazy stuff we do here to grow this church, that we're a cult, that we do some wackadoo stuff here. I had one guy cuss me to my face for building this building and said it was too big. <laughs> I'm like, bro, you ain't been in it, it's too small. We ain't got enough room now. I'm preaching four services, I wish we had two. I need twice as many seats. Y'all say amen. amen. Help me buy it. Let me just jump right in and say this. God changes lives and not everybody's excited about it. This Acts chapter 19 is such a crazy case study for this. Remember the beginning of the chapter, revival miracles. Then the middle of the chapter, crazy fakers, imposters, sons of Sceva. And now God's changing lives and not everyone's excited about it. Let me pick up in Acts 19 verse 21. I want you to understand what God is doing in you, some people just don't care. We saw in Acts 16, you remember a young slave girl who was a fortune teller because she had a demon? She annoyed Paul so much, he cast the demon out of her. And her owners had him arrested and beaten in the city courts because he delivered this girl from a demon. But he was upset because he lost his income off of her being a fortune teller. That's Acts 16 in your Bible. Well, let's pick up in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. After these events, so uh, Ephesus, miracles, spirit-filled, all of that, uh, sons of Sceva, all of that, Acts 19.21. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit, this means he prayed in the spirit, he heard from God, to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. I just want you to see that Paul is being led by the Holy Spirit here. And I wanna encourage you just as a, an aside here, your life should be a life led by the spirit where you work, where you go, who you're friends with. Like, have you prayed about your friendships? Have you prayed about your giving? Have you prayed about who, what church you're a part of? Have you prayed? We've had people literally move from across the country to come to Clarksville because God directed them to come to this church. You need to be led by the spirit and he may lead you to do some crazy stuff. Let him lead you. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Amen. Having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he stayed in Asia for a while. Now he's got his heart set on Rome because he's a Roman citizen, he's got his heart set there, but he stays in, uh, in Macedonia, excuse me, he stays in Asia for a while, verse 23. And about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now this is weird how Luke is kind of starting to write with this um, backwards writing here. What he should have said, there was a big problem. Nobody says, there's no little disturbance in Washington these days. <laughs> Nobody says that. 
What he's saying is there arose a major problem concerning the way. Now, the way was one of the first titles given to Christianity. There was no, Jesus never labeled this religion. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. Like he never was floating up to heaven. He was like, by the way, I'm calling you Christian. I don't think he went out like that anyway, but it was just people following Jesus. And so it really never had a name. This is one of the first names of Christianity. It was called the way, the way of Jesus. And so it says around that time, there was a major disturbance concerning the way. It's the first time it seems like the church is in the center of drama. Now watch what happens. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, Artemis is a pagan god, he brought, here it is again, Luke, no little business to the, he brought a lot of business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and he says, so he calls like a city meeting. He calls a meeting of all the artisans and craftsmen together. It's like, um, uh, what's the organization called? The Chamber of Commerce, right? He gets all the business people together, and he's saying, uh, there's a problem here, guys. He calls them together with the workmen in similar trades, and he says, men, you know that from this business, we have our wealth. In other words, we've made our livelihood from this business of being silversmiths and making shrines of idols. Watch this. And you see and hear not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia. Now he's being hyperbolic here, like everywhere. All of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. So I want you to understand what Demetrius is doing here. He's upset, he's called a meeting with other artisans and other craftsmen who are making things out of silver and wood and other precious metals, these little idols, these little idol, idolatrous figurines. And he's going, look guys, this is how we make a living. This is how we live. I, I mean, we've made our whole wealth by peddling these idols. And he said, there's a problem here because this Paul, who you've heard about, not only here in our city, but in all of the nation, he says, this is a nationwide problem that Paul is preaching and persuading the people, turning them away. He, notice how negative he says it. Like we would say, Paul's preaching and reaching the lost. But this critic said he's persuading and turning people away, saying, God's made with hands are not God's. I mean, if this isn't the most defensive silliness, and of course we say, your idols aren't even real. The gods you've made out of silver are not God. Jesus is Lord, God the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God on the inside of you. And so here's him calling a meeting. Meanwhile, Paul's like over there preaching somewhere probably, and they're having a business meeting. Guys, we're, we're losing our money. They're, it's all over the town, it's all over the country. Paul is conniving and manipulating and persuading people away saying that the gods we make are not gods. And then look what he says, verse 27. And there's danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute. In other words, there's danger that we're gonna lose our reputation, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. Like the, the temple that, that was known in Ephesus was the temple of Artemis that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom, notice what he's saying, all of Asia and the world worship. Clearly he doesn't know what God's been doing. But Demetrius has this meeting. And while we celebrate Acts 19, Sons of Sceva, all of these revivals, 
These people are demonizing it, condemning it, and they're very upset about it. It's interesting how money, power, and false religion will always be antagonistic against what God's doing in your life. Have you ever heard people that even say, I don't believe, I don't believe like that. God does something amazing in your life. You heard an amazing sermon. You, you got something from the Bible and they go, God doesn't speak. I'm never forgetting college. I, I was with a, a friend of mine, this girl, and, and we were talking about the Bible and I was so passionate about the Lord. And I made this comment. I was like, I know God. I know what he's saying. And she's like, you don't know God. You can't know God. And she came from a tradition that had no spirit-filled nature in it, no spirit-filled theology where you can't know God and be known by God. I'll never forget when she said it. She stopped me dead in my church. And I was the baby Christian. She grew up in church. She goes, you don't know God, you can't know God. Money, power, and false religion have always been opposed to what God's doing in our lives. And look at this, these business people were frustrated that they'd lose their money, that they'd lose their ability to sell idols, and more importantly, that people were turning away from religion that made them the most money. Listen, you, we're not in a faith that makes people rich. We're in a faith that makes us sons and daughters and eternal beings. We're not in this to try to get wealthy. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Again, we read Paul's amazing ministry, Acts chapters one through 19. I mean, it's just been amazing since he got saved in Acts chapter nine. And we think it's awesome, but not everyone's a fan of the gospel. Not everyone's a fan of how it changes lives, especially anytime your change costs someone else their comfort, that becomes your problem. Actually, it becomes their problem towards you. Can I just challenge you with something, church? No matter what it costs, you or others follow Jesus with your whole life. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you money. It may cost you job security. It may cost you that, that person you're living with or dating right now. It may cost you your political aspirations or whatever. Follow Jesus no matter what. It's always right. Listen to me. It's always right, always right to live for Jesus. Jesus said it this way, we must be willing to acknowledge him before others. We must be willing to acknowledge him and never deny him. And then he goes on to say, if you deny me before others in this world, I'll deny you before the Father. I have another interesting thought about this text. By the way, this is a really hard text to preach because it's like this long narrative. It's super long too. We're gonna get into chapter 20 by the end of the sermon. So thank you for keeping up with me. But we're gonna learn from their behaviors, right? And what happened. This is also really interesting from this text. These people were upset about losing their money and their business because of what God was doing. And by the way, they weren't even mad at God. They were mad at God's people. Hey church, the world hates you. I want you to know that. Like you are in opposition to the prevailing ethic of our culture, the systems of our world. You are the target, but really they hate God. But listen to this. They were upset about losing their money, their business, their influence, right? It says we'll fall into disrepute, that we'll, we'll, we'll lose our wealth. But more than that, it's interesting. There was this religious component that they would lose their idols. By the way, one of the things about having idols is you can control it that Artemis would no longer be worshiped and idolized. Can I just tell you, people will always fight for what they worship. People always fight for what they worship. And we are living in a day when people are showing they worship all sorts of things. 
We live in a world where people worship their power, they worship their politics or political party, they worship their sin, they worship their own identity, they worship social agendas, greed, even we worship sports and teams. Listen to me, when you submit to Jesus, you walk away from platforming any other idol. You cannot have Jesus plus an idol or two, you can't. And what they were like contesting against was Paul was preaching, step away from Artemis, step away from idolatry, step away from loving yourself, step away from your own identity, step away from your own politics, step away from all of that and lift up the name of Jesus. And when you start confronting people's way of life, their way of wealth and their way of idolatry, man, they are not happy about what God's doing in you. Think of how Christians are portrayed today because we believe in worshiping Jesus and not following every crazy cultural idea or ideology. Follow Jesus no matter what. Don't bow down to idols. Last year, I wrote a message for leaders called Let the Idols Fall. It's based out of 1 Kings chapter four and five, 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament. You remember when? 1 Samuel, maybe. Anyway, it's when the... Um, 1 Samuel chapter four and five, read your Bible. It's when the Philistines <laughs> captured the ark. It's a lot to remember, everybody. You know how you like know your address but not your aunt's address? That's how I feel with Bible verses sometimes. Like I know the ones I know, and then I know, I know where the other ones are. It's in there. Some people get so unimpressed with me when I say stuff like that. I don't even care. In 1 Samuel, Four and five, the, the Israelites captured the ark. They, they had the Ark of the Covenant. That was where God chose to dwell with the people, is with the ark. And the Philistines, the enemy of God, the enemy of Israel, they captured the ark and they bring the ark back to their encampment and they put it next to their idol, Dagon. Dagon was this bottom of a fish, torso of a man. So fish man. And that was the name of their idol. And they had an idol trophy room. And they had Dagon centered in this trophy room. And then they put the Ark of the Covenant next to Dagon, his statue, and they left for the night. The next morning, it says, that Dagon had fallen face forward in front of the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you know what Paul said in Ephesians is gonna be true? Every knee will bow in heaven, in earth, and under the earth at the name of Jesus Christ, right, everybody? There is no idolatry, like we don't get to carry idols, right? So. Dagon falls in the presence of God at the Ark of the Covenant. So the next day, it says they come in and Dagon had fallen. So the, the Philistines picked up Dagon, look at this, and they put him back in his place. And that's what many of us do all the time. God tries to knock something out of our lives and we go put it back in place. God tries to take the idol of identity out of your life and try to set you as a son and a daughter, not a sinner or whatever, this kind of identity craziness that we're living in right now. And God tries to knock that down. And we go, no, 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 I need to be who I am. I need to be who I was born to be. I need to be my true self. No, no, that's putting the idols back in their place. God tries to knock greed out of our lives because his presence is so strong. We become generous. Then we get a pay raise. Then we get a boat. Then we get greedy and we go put it back in its place. We just keep fighting this, right? This idolatrous nature. This is why the Holy Spirit in us is so powerful, right? So then it says the next day, they put Dagon back in his place and the next morning they come back in and Dagon had fallen face down and smashed to pieces because idols don't survive in the presence of God. So listen, so the Philistines shut the door and they go, we'll never go in that room again. It's interesting to me that these pagans understand the power of the presence of God sometimes better than we do. When God's trying to knock idols out of our lives, 
Like don't chase idols. Don't let idolatry creep into your life. We live in a world of idol worship. We idol money and greed and power and sex and sexuality and politics and all these things. Don't do that. Chase Jesus. Pursue the Lord. Are y'all hearing me today? And so here's this crowd. They start a huge riot. It goes on to, and what are they after? Money, prominence, idolatry. Now watch this. I'm gonna tell you now, don't chase it. Don't get spun up, man. Think of the world we're living in today. Think of every conspiracy you can hunt down. Just put in hashtag crazy on social media, boom, it's opened up to you. We got the political conspiracies, the medical conspiracies, the, 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 the racial, gender, sexual conspiracies. We've got the social construct. We got all this stuff. Don't chase it. Don't chase it. Don't get spun up. Well, I'm just seeking the truth. Seek Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life, not your hashtag search. Watch what happens next. So when they heard this, remember, Demetrius called a meeting, and when the people in the meeting heard this, they were enraged, and they're mad, and they're crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I can hear this chant like at, you know, in the great is Artemis, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, of the Ephesians. Watch this. The city, 20 verses ago, the whole city honored the Lord. Now the whole city is in confusion because Demetrius and his self-centered, egotistical, greed, and idolatrous way of spinning up a town, whole city is in confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them, these are some of Paul's disciples, Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions. They run into the city, they go in the theater, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and they run in the theater and they bring them out. Now, the theater was the place where they're arguing and persuading and preaching and sharing the gospel. I love Paul. He's such a boss. When Paul heard this, though, he wished to go in among the crowd. Like, let me have him. Let me at him. This is Paul. He's such a baller. You know, he's, he's a good pastor. I'd fight for you guys. Paul rolls in. He's like, let me have him. And his disciples wouldn't let him. How many of you know it's good to have a small group in your life? <laughs> Protect you. This is why you need a small group. Keep you from being stupid. Because the mob was spun up. The whole town was spun up. And the disciples wouldn't let him. And some of the Asiarchs or the Asians who were friends of his sent to him and urged him, don't go in there, Paul. Man, it's good to have a small group. Everyone who in a small group said amen. All the rest of you eerily quiet. Now look at this. Remember, all the town was, was rushed together and they were confused. Verse 32, some cried out one thing, some cried out the other. That's why I think they were like, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And this is so crazy and telling. This is the world we live in. Look at this. And most of them didn't even know why they'd come together. Is that America in 2022 or what? You ever watch those on the street YouTube videos of like, why are you in this mob? I don't know, they gave out free pizza, okay. You know, like, do you really believe what they said they said? Sure, like nobody knows. Look at twice in this text, confusion, 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 confusion. Notice the level of confusion. God was growing his church and Demetrius and all of his self-centered friends decide to grow confusion. 
God's growing his church, changing lives, transforming hearts, bringing revival, and the controversy was for those who rejected and opposed what God was doing. Twice in the passage was confusion. I've heard people over the years say, I wish God would just send revival to our city like he did in the Bible. Then he would fix everything. I don't think so. 20 verses ago was massive revival. Why didn't Demetrius get in that prayer line and get his heart changed? Because he was greedy and self-focused. This is how good our God is. He even lets people reject him on the backside of miracles. Demetrius rejected him because he longed for his wealth and he longed for his prominence and his idols. But twice in the passage, there was confusion. You have to understand something. Confusion is never a sign of God's blessing and God's presence. Never, it's a great litmus test for you. You should sit back and evaluate the controversy of your family or your neighborhood or your social media. You should look at the controversy related to whatever you're spun up about and ask this question. Is this causing confusion or peace? Here's what the Bible says. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. If it's confusing, if it's causing a drama, if it's causing a stir in your family. How many of you got that cousin? How many of you got that brother that's always shit sending you the articles? And it's always confusing. Here's how you know it's confusing. We never know who's behind it. We never know what the end goal is. Not everyone's saying the same thing. This is consistent. We know who's behind it. We know the end goal. Like stay here. Don't chase the drama. There are so many of us that think if we can post enough or get in the arguments long enough or say it to the right person, you're gonna affect the world and change it. No, you're not. The gospel changes people, not your latest conspiracy post. Like this is all confusing and then they're going, they're gathering going, we don't even know why we're together. That's the power of a mob. That's the power of groupthink, which is why we want you to groupthink with your church and with a small group because the same power can spin up people into chaos. The same power of groupthink and the, and the coming together as a committed body can stir people to the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion, but peace. The devil and self-centered humans cause confusion. Don't chase it. Man, I'm telling you, I've just, I've been in the church world 25 years as a Christian and 20 years in ministry and two years, the last two years have felt like another whole career watching people. The mob mentality we live with today, it's confusing. It's not clear what's happening. We ask questions like what's going on in DC? In Europe, who's behind it? What's the puppet master doing? There's no clear leadership. Most of them didn't even know why they were gathered in this mob. So much confusion in our world today. Let me just tell you what it's about. We're confused about gender, sex. We're rewriting language on gender, sexuality, economy, race and politics and racism and what's happening in Europe. Listen to me, stay focused on Jesus, the only solution to the problems of our world is Christ and him crucified and him as Lord of all. That's it, that's the only solution. There is no political solution. There there might be momentary peace, but there's no eternal peace without Jesus. As you stay committed and focused on the Lord, his gospel, his truth, God will bring clarity and peace. But many of us feel obligated to clear up confusion or fix drama, you can't. I heard Brian Regan, he's my favorite comedian, He shared a joke one time. He was like, oh, this was interesting. I saw on social media the other day, someone posted something controversial and everyone responded with, oh, I see, I'll change my opinions. The joke is that never happens for some of you that are, anyway, he told it better than me, okay? I'm not a professional comedian. Let me keep going, because now the town's in chaos. 
By the way, we're reading the Acts of the Apostles. How did they act? How did they behave? And how do we behave? Does anybody else see this as like a description of our country right now? Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. Now these, these are, um, it's most likely a Jewish Christian, Jewish by upbringing, Christian by faith now. So they, some of the crowd puts Alexander, what do you say? Speak. And Alexander motioning with his hand. I don't know why Luke says that. Like we don't know the gesture. Anyway, it could be terribly inappropriate. <laughs> Alexander motioning with his hand wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, this is why we think he was Jewish Christian because they connected him to Paul in the ministry. For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis, great is of the Ephesians. I mean, how stupid. Somebody's talking and we won't even listen. Instead, we just chant at them for two hours. Does anybody feel like that was the last two years of our lives? We're not listening to anybody. We're just yelling at each other and we're just chanting our slogans and we don't even know why we care. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about first service people, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It's just dramatic. But in comes, this is really, oh my gosh, this is, I could have preached the whole sermon on this next part here. Don't chase the drama, church. Watch this verse 35. Do y'all like the Bible? I just think it's one of the coolest things ever to watch this story unfold. Watch this. So in verse 35, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, this is like the county clerk. Y'all know we have an elected county clerk in our, in our county, right? That, that's who you pay your check to to get your license plate renewed. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he says, men of Ephesus, who is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of Artemis? I love that he's contradicting. Remember Demetrius said, everyone in the whole world is believing this other stuff. And he's going, hey guys, everybody knows if Ephesus is the house of Artemis. He said, who doesn't know this? That Ephesus is the city of the temple keeper of the great Artemis. And of the sacred stone, this is part of their idolatry, they worship a stone that fell from the sky. Pause. Did you know Islam has at the center of its belief a cube that they believe fell from the sky, a meteor, it's in Saudi Arabia, it's at the Kaaba, that they worship around. Moving on. So many false religions that we've seen patterns of over the centuries. He said, who doesn't know that the city of Ephesus is the temple center of Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things can't be denied, look what the city, the town clerk says, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess, of our goddess. This town clerk is not a Christian. He's actually an Artemisian. He's following the goddess Artemis. He goes, these guys have not done anything sacrilegious. And it's true. Paul never stood up and said, death to Artemis, death to the stone from the sky. He's just preaching Jesus. He said, no one that you ought to be quiet, do nothing rash, for you brought these men who have, they're neither sacrilegious to our God or blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, look at this. If there is a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. This is the town clerk, the county commission guy. All right, now watch this, this is amazing. If Demetrius or the craftsmen have a complaint, the courts are open. He's going, hey, we are a civilized people. 
We have a court system. They're Greeks. And Romans, they have senates, they have judges, they have courts. And he's going, if there's a complaint, take them to court. Let them bring charges one against another, verse 39. But if you keep seeking anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. Look at verse 40. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today. Since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. The county clerk, notice Paul didn't settle him down. Demetrius got them all worked up. And the elected official steps up, who's an Artemisian, not a Christian. And he goes, look, you guys are gonna get charged with rioting. There's no cause for what you've done and cause this commotion. There's tons of confusion, tons of commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. I almost overlooked this part of the text. This is such a hard sermon to write, by the way. You do it, try it. I mean, just come up with principles out of this passage is so tough. But notice the town clerk's ability to step up and to speak up. He would be considered a city official, a magistrate, like an elected official that we would have in our community. This was a valuable moment, watch. He was not a Christian, he was a follower of Artemis, but he was a community leader who God used to have wisdom and calm persuasion to settle the drama. Listen to this, listen, listen, listen. This is the power of having wise and good counsel in our city and county government. This is why we pray for those in elected leadership. This is why it's important to vote, but to pray for those in civic authority. It's part of the plan of God. In Romans 13, it says God has established these governing authorities to, to protect and to bear the sword of justice and to meet out. They've got clerking and court issues here. This is part of the plan of God. We've got the church and we've got this civic authority that's ordained by God. Now listen, it's important that we pray for those in civic leadership. Don't you dare complain about a leader that you're not praying for. You may not have voted for that person. You may not like their politics, but that doesn't diminish your requirement to pray for them. Please pray for those who lead. Paul wasn't the right person to calm this down. The town clerk was because he was a neutral party. He wasn't for Paul or against Paul. He wasn't for Artemisians or against them. He was for the city not being ruined into chaos. Look how Paul says it in 1 Timothy. This is coming out of Acts. Paul says, first of all, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, that's four different ways of talking to God about people, be made for all people. Well, I'm just gonna pray for the people I like. I'm sorry, you don't get a pass on this. That prayer, intercession, supplications, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, like the town clerk, like the magistrates, like your mayors and governors and presidents and congressmen and state senators and school board officials and teachers and principals and pastors. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Why? And the word so should be right here. So that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Does anybody else think our world is in chaos right now? You know what I say? Church, pray more. Don't post more. Don't politic more. Don't picket more. I didn't mean for all those to start with P. Pray more. Pray more. Pray. Intercessions and supplications, intercessions for all people, especially kings and all who are in high places, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing. 
You know what doesn't please God? You chasing drama. You and me getting in the fray of all the crazy. That don't, you think God's in heaven gonna get them? Hashtag that. Repost that. Yeah, boy. You think God cares about your social media fights? No. He cares about your prayer life. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. How many of you are thankful for the Bible? I mean, good Lord. I wanna challenge you, church. And we have numerous elected officials who attend this church. So I'm commissioning this church to, I'm insisting that you start praying for them. Our county mayor, we have school board members that are part of this church. Sheriffs been to our church a number of times. Sheriff's deputies are part of our church. Judges are part of our church. We have a US congressman, a part of our church. We have state senators and state representatives, a part of our church. I'm asking, I'm commissioning you to pray, city and county mayor, city councils, county commission, sheriffs, judges, county clerks, school boards, governors, state reps, senators, congressmen, and pray for our president. Don't chase drama, chase your prayer closet. Finally, belong, be encouraged, and stay committed. This is where the text ends. I just think this passage looks like America, and we need to learn from it. The acts of the apostles should be the acts of us, how they reacted. They didn't get thrown in the drama, and look, Paul had friends that yanked him back. Remember that? Come on, remember Paul was kept safe by his friends in verse 30. Man, let me add him. No, sir. I don't know if y'all want me to die as your pastor, but I've tried to stay out of political and social fights for a reason, because I ain't trying to die or get like canceled by the world. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to stay your pastor, not have a prison ministry. I don't want y'all having my funeral either. I just can't imagine what Stephanie would do after. Spending all my money. <laughs> it's a terrible joke, I'm sorry. After the uproar ceased, Paul, it wasn't Paul that stopped the uproar. It was the clerk. Pray for your leaders. And after it all ceased, look what Paul did. He calls for the disciples. Hey guys, I need my small group. Can you imagine how fatigued he was? How tired, exhausted. I did all this work for revival in Ephesus and Demetrius ruined it in two hours. He's probably super grieved, super troubled. After all this uproar, Paul sent for his disciples. And after encouraging them, notice he didn't even take from them, he encouraged them. He said, farewell, departed from Macedonia. When he'd gone through those regions, remember he's being led by the spirit, verse 21. When he had gone through those regions and given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months in Greece until a plot was made against him by the Jews. And then he was gonna set sail again uh, to set sail for Syria, but he decided to return through Macedonia. I mean, everywhere he goes, he has revival and then it's time to take this dude to prison. Signing up for ministry today, anybody? I want you to see something. The gospel was growing and it's opposing the forces of darkness in our world. Prominence, power, money, greed, immorality, idolatry. And there was resistance to the truth of the gospel. And that's still true today. The power to change lives is a confrontation to the world that we live in. We live in a culture that feels the same way. There's animosity against Christians for having a biblical worldview on everything from sex and marriage and sexuality, abortion, social issues, money, spending, prayer in public evangelism. There are groups who absolutely hate God and they absolutely hate God's people. And it's just terribly sad. But we're not gonna listen to the complainers. We're not gonna follow the mob. We're gonna follow Jesus. Could you imagine if I listened to the six or seven complainers when we were building this church versus the thousands of people that it's blessed? 
Could you imagine if we listened to the haters instead of followed God? Paul was cautioned not to engage, and I wanna caution you, don't lose your soul trying to chase the drama of a broken world. I wanna encourage you, take a week off of national news. Take a week off of social media. In fact, take years off of social media for your kids. I wanna encourage every parent to take your kids off social media, please. It is not helping them, I promise you. But watch this. Paul called other believers together and he shared encouragement with them on multiple occasions. Then he goes to a new city, does the same thing, meets with believers, shares encouragements. In fact, the unique text in verse chapter 20 goes on to list seven men who accompanied him and then a whole group of disciples from Asia. I wanna challenge you, not everyone who cares what God's doing, keep following Jesus. Don't get sucked into the drama, keep sharing the gospel and pray for those who lead. And finally, would you belong to your church? Would you go all in with your church? Like Paul, first thing to do was call the believers. Can I ask you to recommit to your small group, change your schedule, get oriented back. Some of us, we just get busy and we let that thing slip or slide. Get to church every week, belong to the word of God, belong to your prayer closet again, belong to the church, be an encourager to one another, serve your church, give faithfully, commit to a small group. If you've never done it before or if you slacked off, get back in it. Part of surviving opposition is having a family to lean into and a church family to lean on. And no matter what, stay committed to Jesus and his kingdom above the world, above our crazy culture in the face of this opposition. Can I hear an amen from the church today? God, we love you. We thank you for this word, this narrative text that teaches us so much on how to believe and how to behave. God, we thank you for this scripture in Acts 19. God, what a crazy up and down story Acts 19 has proven to be. But Lord, we thank you that faithful through it all is you. You're steadying the ship, you're steadying the the apostles, you're steadying the Christians. God, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you're transformative, even in times of oppression. Your power prevails, You, you reign over all. God, I pray that we would trust that again. Help us, Lord God, to remember this word as we live our lives this week. That God, we don't have to chase drama, that we can trust you, that we can pursue you with our whole hearts. That God, we can seek you even in the face of opposition. We can stay faithful to you. May we never chase the opposers. God, that we chase Jesus. And Lord God, please, would you draw us back to the family of God, to the church of Jesus Christ, to our small group, to our church family, I pray for everyone watching, sitting in their living rooms today. God, they would take the step from here through the end of the year to get back into the room with their, their church family, to serve again, to lead again, to be in small group again. God, that we'd find encouragement, we'd find community in the household of faith, not in the household of those who share our conspiracy theories or share our positions or the things we idolize. God, that we'd find community in the household of faith. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful to live for you, to serve you, to be a blessing to you. God, we just commit ourselves to you all over again. Thank you for the model that we see in Paul and the other apostles and the disciples of the New Testament church, the way of Jesus. God, may it teach us and instruct us how to believe and how to behave. Could you pray this with me and mean it? Come on from the bottom of your heart. Say, God, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sin and raised from the dead so that I can live my life completely surrendered to Jesus. Say, fill me, Holy Spirit. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your Holy Spirit. Empower me 
to live my life for you this week and every week moving forward. I say, God, I'm all in, in Jesus' name. Amen, everybody.